0: Hi there, and welcome to the 2022 summer season of 76 West, a podcast from the Lambert Center for Arts and Ideas at the Marlene Meyerson JCC Manhattan. Conversations at the JCC are made possible by Zabars and Zabars.com. I'm Jason Blitman from the Lambert Center for Arts and Ideas, and on today's episode, I talk to best-selling author Sloane Crosley about her latest novel, Cult Classic. Sloane Crosley is the author of the novel The Clasp and three essay collections, Look alive out there in the New York Times bestsellers. I was told there'd be cake. And how did you get this number? A two-time finalist for the Thurber Prize for American Humor and a contributing editor at Vanity Fair. She lives in New York City. And now please enjoy my conversation with Sloane Crosley. Hi, Sloane. Hello. Thanks for having me. Thank you for (laughs) being here. You're very much a New Yorker. Where is this where your humor comes from? (laughs) <laughs> right i think that's a <laughs> it's such a good question and i'm
1: going to steal your question as my answer to this question going forward Uh-oh. because people, <laughs> <laughs> what what people I well when you're um, a comedic writer um of any kind people want to know where it comes from um they assume something horrible happened to you uh for men um if we're just to be grossly gendered about yeah. it just for the sake of the the answering the question for men. I think it tends to come from either, um, a defense mechanism. So they don't get bullied, uh, when they're kids or they want to pick up the girl or pick up the guy depending, um, for women, or at least for me, it was how you proved you were smart, especially in my family. Mm. And I wonder if that has a lot of New Yorkiness, as you say, uh, to it that I don't realize these are just my, these people are my family. I don't necessarily associate them as being New Yorkers. You know, if they buy a certain food or say a certain thing, I'm not like, so New York. (laughs) I think I'd get elbowed, you know?
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's such an interesting answer to the question though, because I think you saying that it's almost like a math equation, right? You grew up in New York, clearly an intellectual family and you and, and there's, like, New York plus intelligence equals your humor. And that right. comes across on the page, which I think is a really cool uh, thing as a reader.
1: I hope so. I mean, that sounds great. Also, it sounds great that you just sort of naturally called them
0: intellectuals. Um. Well, you can tell them <laughs> I said that. Jason from the JCC. <laughs> I will.
1: I'll write them a note. They'll be very excited. <laughs>
0: oh, my God. That's so funny. And then you found your way into publishing.
1: Yes. And so then I, I mean, I went to school... Not to take you back like, oh, I was born. And then right. <laughs> the a dark <laughs> and stormy night. Yeah, exactly. You're like... I love a good a story. ...podcast, not inside the actor studio. <laughs> so there's a limit. <laughs> but I feel like um, I went to school really for archaeology. That's what I wanted to do. And anthropology, I was obsessed with it. I went on a couple digs. Um, and then I really... Just, I dig it. I, yeah. <laughs>
0: um,
1: <laughs> it turns out you need a lot of statistics and math to become... An anthropologist or archaeologist, uh, specifically, and uh, I really hit a wall, if you will, with my the trowel of my mind oh, wow. uh, at that that uh, at statistics. But uh, I also really just fell in love with English lit and creative writing mm-hmm. in a way that I had always been interested in it. You know, yes, of course, I wrote little short stories as a kid, all that stuff. Um, and so that when I graduated, I actually um, didn't necessarily want to work in book publishing because um, I think I wanted to be a writer, and so I didn't see working on the other side of it so i tried to get a job in magazines and i couldn't there were just no jobs in magazines and then i got a job working for the publicity department of harper collins and then i moved to the publicity department of vintage books for like 10 years mm. and while i was there i started writing nonfiction pieces for the village voice that you know you start exercising that muscle or getting that um both the creative hit of creating something you want and the really superficial um, one of seeing your name in print. And it becomes very addictive. Um, And so that's how I got started writing. Uh, It's just started in the dirt. And now we're here,
0: you know. And and now you're a full-blown actor. Yeah. And now Now I have this problem. Those are your words. Those are your words. I know.
1: I have this problem where I bind it and I sell it and I pretend it's okay. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) Well, you had said something in an interview that you were the Lorax for books. And when you were working mm. in publicity, you loved speaking for them. And I just thought that yeah. was so cool and really beautiful. And, like, you don't really think about it in that way. And, like, obviously, once once a book gets to a publicist, it's gone through such a process. Rigor? Of, or,
1: yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, so you know it's at least good enough, which I think, you know, that's all we're all striving for these days is good enough. Um, uh, and so that's just a really cool thing to be able to say, all right, y'all, this thing is, is in the world.
1: Right. Well, I do, I have to say, I, I was very fortunate in the books that I worked on when I was a publicist were comically more than good enough. I mean, some of them, yeah, to your point. But um, most of them... You know, I worked very hard on the paperback originals on uh, mm-hmm. at that point in time in publishing, you could really make a book in paperback that had kind of bombed or done had a sort of lackluster performance in hardcover. Um, but a lot of the stuff was, you know, in some ways, you get credit for being someone's publicist, but you're really a babysitting job with the authors I worked on. Yeah. So I mean when you're calling someone, you know and you're like, hi, it's Sloan calling from vintage. I'm calling about, you know, Alice Monroe, Phil Broth, VS Nightpool. Like, if you want my number, you'll guess it. Click. Like, you know, it's just like, a, you, can, <laughs> you have this like, sort of outside sense of power that most publicists don't have because you are working with stuff that is uh, beyond good enough.
0: Um, but it does. Even when I great. got an email from Steve, who was like, would you have any interest in Sloan Crosley's new book? And I was like, uh. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's lovely.
0: You mean, I mean like it's, that? <laughs> it's,
1: it's, it's so hard. Cause you don't, it's very hard I think until you're being taught in schools and until there's a real deluge of awards, you know, not just one or two, um, to have a conception of yourself in the uh, world in general and the literary firmament uh, specifically. I don't know who's clamoring for what for me. I don't, I have no concept of it, um, which sounds probably like false humility because I do see people covering the book. So I know that I'm not like a, a total bozo, but I think I might still be within the bozo range. So I'm not sure. So I'm delighted to be here.
0: <laughs> but you know what? I have to say, thinking that perhaps you're still in the bozo range makes yeah. you more fun to read as a reader.
1: That's true. There is a little bit, you know, it's funny. I mean, without naming names, there are certain people who start out. There's a great line that I've no right to use, but we're just going to go ahead and do it Jay Z Lyric. Uh, which is, um, I don't be in the project always, but hallway talking about how I've been the project always. I just messed it up. The point is, the idea of like continuing to talk about it as opposed to going and doing something. Um, I don't know if that actually quite applies, but either way, maybe I just felt like voting Jay Z
0: <laughs> Which is something I didn't expect to hear today. I'm I don't know. Real. Yeah, you didn't think
1: of either way. I guess I'm just saying that um, there's a way where you can get the sort of inverse of my example, actually. So you can keep this in if you choose or not. But um, there's a way where you can uh, rarify yourself out. We're going to use that as a verb, as I am. You can sort of rarify yourself out of being relatable. Um, but some people can do it. Like Nora Ephron wrote tremendous essays about $200 bath oil and nobody batted an mm-hmm. eye. You know, right. I mean, it's it depends... On who you are, and then some people it's you know, oh, don't you just hate that when the towels are lukewarm in first class, and you're like, No, i I, I have no entry point to this, right?
0: So yeah, and it's interesting because there are some authors who just they need to be literary for the sake of being literary and
1: right. Well, I mean, I feel like what what does that mean to you?
0: Maybe lo- overly descriptive language that right. where you can just be simpler is. I think, uh, right word.
1: You mean mean more like a, yeah, you mean the Okay. I see what you're saying. You mean like a colloquial or like a stuck in the middle with you feeling that exasperation bonding. We we
0: get it. We get what you mean. You don't need to go seven pages on this one thing because it almost comes across as masturbatory as a writer. And because there is a hint of bozoness in you, you're like, I'm going to put it on the page and and you are still You're still very, you are literary, but you're like, I'm going to get to the point and tell the story in a judicious way. And as a reader, I feel like it's this beautiful balance of I'm reading something that I feel intelligent reading, but it's also so accessible. And the book itself, which is like, is sitting here in my lap. I love it so much already. Oh, thank Um, you. And the book itself, I was, I couldn't believe how much, humor and how, like, it was a romantic comedy like I'd never experienced before. Um, and it's because it just felt so smart. And I've never read a book like it. And I couldn't, I I, I read a book earlier this year called Unlikely Animals by Annie Hartnett that I loved. Great title. And, oh, it's so great. But the, and the book is so fun. And part of the way I described it was it feels familiar and yet so unique and distinct and i felt that way about cult classic i was like there's something very familiar about this but i've never read anything like it and it was and that was a very cool thing to experience as a reader
1: oh my gosh thank you
0: you could tell speak that in, th- to your parents and i email. was about to say
1: to your <laughs> has mike put you the check yet
0: right, exactly. <laughs> yes yeah, yes it does
1: yeah i that is amazing because that is that is my favorite thing to read my favorite thing to produce something where you think not that i've reinvented the wheel but surely this wheel exists before and then you sort of go through the files you go through your mental rolodex and you're like i can't find anything on this um and that's hard to do i think uh regardless of whether or not i personally have been successful at it in cult classic it's hard to attack some of these subjects that are They just permeate our whole society and specifically uh, literature. So there are certain topics that are sort of, I mean, you have to, let's take it off of love and romance for a second to to make my point, which is that if I were to write about the civil war, I better have something damn good to say about the civil war. What am I going to do that hasn't been said about the civil war, climate change, come at me, you know, what is it? Mm. And love and romance and dating I wanted to really address it in a sort of non cheesy, non stupid way. And it's not that I think some of my favorite romantic comedies are um, stupid. They, uh, from a cinematic perspective, were made a long time ago. Um, and so they, the bar for just intricacy and in analysis is sort of different. Um, and then from a literary standpoint, um, I wanted to do something that was actually a little moved a little bit faster than some of the literature that I had read about on this topic. So it was sort of something I was trying to do intentionally, that kind of high-low mix of it, um, where there's plenty of uh, philosophy and, you know, $10 words. Um, or is it $2 words? See, it's words, <laughs> not math. I don't know. $10 but what's
0: great words. is that some of the words are $2 and some of them are $10. Some of them are 10 And, and we can the afford that. The point is
1: that none of them are free.
0: <laughs> right. Please buy the <laughs> none book. None of them are free.
1: <laughs> no, Wait. but... Yeah, it's that that combination, it's a very nice thing to hear you pick up is all, because I, I just, that combination is something that, that's a goal
0: for me. Oh, so that. No, it very much came through on the page. Um, to our listeners that are unfamiliar, what is your elevator pitch for the Of book? this book? Yeah.
1: Oh my gosh, it sounds so crazy. I should I say, know. for the listeners that are unfamiliar, <laughs> I would, uh... First, give them the caveat. Remember that if you pulled any book off your shelf and pretend you had never read it before and I described the plot to you, it would sound bananas. So if I pull Lolita off my shelf, are you reading it? I don't know. I just told you. (laughs) Um, So it's uh, not to put myself in the same ring as Lolita. (laughs) 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 Okay. So it's about uh, a woman who is forced to confront all of her exes, everyone she's ever dated. because she is the victim slash guinea pig of this mind control experiment run out of an abandoned, uh, abandoned shool on the Lower East Side uh, by her former boss. It turns out she knows him very well uh, because he used to be her boss at a magazine called Modern Psychology. So he's sort of morphed into this pop psych guru figure with his you know, face on tote bags. And he has started what is essentially a high class mind control cult. Um And if she chooses to engage in this experiment, if she steps within a five blocks radius of this one building, she will likely run into an ex because through a combination of sort of mysticism and social media, they've made this happen. And the only problem with this is that she is engaged to be married and she's not sure if she should go back into the past like this and what effects it will have on her relationship.
0: Yeah, that was a long elevator ride, but I was, I was a long elevator I ride. I don't
1: know how to I know there's no way to do- I, I the problem is everything sounds um wrong because there are a couple of moving parts.
0: Yeah, totally. And
1: so I but, can pick a moving part and call it a mystery or call it a romantic comedy or call it speculative fiction and it just it won't be correct. So no,
0: of not. basically
1: it's funny, it's a very weird comedy of manners.
0: Yes. And I was obsessed with it. So everyone uh, was okay. listening can read it. And
1: People are obsessed with it. On this, <laughs> on this, in this podcast,
0: two out of two of the people on this podcast
1: are obsessed with it.
0: So a hundred percent. Yeah. It's a perfect. Look at us. Perfect, perfect this morning. Um, uh, and you know, you said if you pull a book off your shelf and you got a, a, a one-liner about it, you wouldn't read it. But I have to I
1: mean Lolita, it. back to Lolita, it's about a road trip. I don't know if I'd pitch that as like a buddy comedy. No,
0: know? of course not. But okay, what you're not supposed to do is judge a book by its cover, literally or metaphorically. Mm -hmm. But y'all, this cover is freaking... It's so good, isn't it? It is so good. Never in my whole life have I thought about wanting to get a poster of a book cover, but I'm like, I want this as a poster, I think. Um,
1: I have never thought about it either, even for my own books. And this is the (laughs) first one where I'm like, should this be a whole wall of my apartment? It's so great. I
0: mean, kind of. It's a piece of art. And honestly, you know having read the book and then looking at the cover you're like i would have never looked at this and thought oh this completely describes what the book is but it does it does
1: it? well because she falls down so there's the to, to those who are not looking at it right now um the uninitiated everyone google it, everyone. <laughs> google it. yeah you can google it Look at the uh, cover. exactly um uh, but it's, it's a series of arches and it has this sort of 3D effect um, of a woman sort of in the very center of the cover walking through these arches that you realize upon, maybe upon immediate examination or upon second examination, they're um, the giant faces of men. And so she's sort of being sucked into this past in, in this beautiful way. And at first I worried it might be a little too noir to sort of Dashiell hamity, but i think it has enough modern touches it's cool font and i think you also just don't see the colors it's weird i obviously i'm very excited to talk about the cover because a woman named june park at fsg designed it and she did a great job and she even managed to in a very smooth way incorporate some of the elements of chinatown in new york in it which is where the novel takes place and where um the synagogue is obviously lower east side Um, and so it, it really incorporates a lot of it.
0: I like it. <laughs> I mean, it's, you're right. The colors, you don't see them very often. The general style, the aesthetic. You just, again, having read it, you, it feels like the book. And that is not always the case. It's so it's exciting. So exciting. Because,
1: well, it's like, literally, it's like you said, oh, um, mm-hmm. two things that don't go together. If you're like, your cooking feels as wonderful as, you know, uh, Meryl Street. Meryl Streep is not a food, but I would instantly be flattered by that. So the idea that the tone of the cover, the aesthetic of the cover is somehow what I did in the book, you know, this sort of slight creep to it, this slight mystery while you're laughing. Um, Yeah. That would be great if those two things were
0: uh, equally effective. I mean, it's so funny. I have so many things I want to talk to you about, but like, I can't, I'm like waxing poetic on, on the cover, um, at the, so open the cover and the <laughs> that's it. That's all you have to do.
1: Right. Just leave it on your coffee table. See what right.
0: happens. <laughs> I mean, truly at the beginning of the book, yes. you in the first like 25 ish pages, you go through so many elements of what it is like to be human. Death, office politics, breakups, getting engaged, monogamy, baggage, uh, come to life in the night relationships. And I was like, On one hand, I feel like Sloan is checking so many boxes in terms of like, I can relate to this reader, I can relate to this reader, but it also felt so right for the story. I was like, any human can read this.
1: I hope that, (laughs) oh my gosh. Again, I don't know how many checks you want from my mom, you know, but but, (laughs) there's a limit. But, um, you know, I hope that's true because. Wow, I really hope that's true because I think part of the risk of writing a book like this is I had been avoiding writing about dating and romance for so long in this mm. very conscious way. Um, not only because of how I felt I would be pigeonholed as an author outside the pages, you know, and how you get covered and who reviews you and all that junk that perhaps as an author and perhaps as a former publicist, I am unfortunately hyper aware of, but right. um, and junk it is, you know, this is not what matters. Mm. It's the work that matters in a very, uh, earnest, but true way, you know? Um, but then the other thing is I thought, I don't know if everyone's going to be able to relate to this because it's mm. so detailed and it's so specific, not to New York. I mean, people date people everywhere. New Yorkers right. tend to be like this. We tend to be extremely obnoxious about how, uh, only a New York kids. And I'm like, uh, shit ton of stuff happens in Kansas city. Yeah. You know, it's really uh, very, it's not, <laughs> but anyway, long story longer. I thought, will this alienate people with its specificity and um, not of language, not of detail. Uh, but I don't think it is so far, which is really refreshing, you know, cause really. I, I worried this person, this character, Lola has had so many relationships, um, a lot more than me. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, she's had so many relationships and she is, such a mess. And she's, you know, a little bit too old to be a mess. She's 37. It's not some story of a 25 year old who just hasn't figured it out yet. Um, which was part of why I was drawn to her because I felt it becomes embarrassing after a certain stage to not be completely together. You know, you're supposed to, Oh, your twenties are for figuring it out. And you're in your thirties. Thank God you're in your thirties now. She just doesn't know yet, but now there's no sort of cultural discourse or social discourse for her to say anything. So it's even Mm. worse. Um, and I thought, will somebody who has been married to their high school sweetheart and has five kids, you know, will they relate to this?
0: I do think that it touches on so many things that, that, people can tap into and i'm so curious but i'm hesitant to ask because I, I our time is limited and i'm like you know what i'll watch one of your next interviews that you're doing and find out where the book came from in terms of inspiration but do you have like a brief something
1: yeah a little brief a little um not is the a shorter a shorter elevator ride yeah it's a very <laughs> char-
0: <laughs> we're going two floors right
1: uh, okay so a way in a way i've already touched on it which is that um exhaustion, uh, that fatigue mm. from avoidance. Uh, you know, if you're not looking at something really consciously, that is such a huge part of your life and a huge subject. Eventually you're like, Oh my God, just look, just turn your head and rubberneck and look at romance. Like everybody else's mm. <laughs> and just do your own take on it. Um, sure. but I wanted to do, I wanted a more, an unusual container for it. And I wanted to have to say more so that, you know, there's a point in which a character in the books, uh, the main character says she's disappointed in herself because after this experiment, she feels like she couldn't pass a Bechtel test with herself, just in the quiet mm. of her own mind. And I didn't want the book to be like that. So there's send-ups of tech culture and wellness culture. There's the sort of wacky cult. Um, there's really the container of the friendship of these friends who used to have an office relationship. Um, and once I found it, something to pour all this romantic comedy business into, it clicked.
0: Yeah, it like almost felt a little futuristic and a little nostalgic and a right. little this and a little that. It was like, that's kind of why I said it was so unique to me. I've never read a book like it before. I, I felt so many feelings reading it. But that's that's very interesting that that's kind of where it came from. Did you have did you have like a notebook of all your exes?
1: <laughs> oh, my personal, no.
0: Yes, we didn't. no, keep no, door. no, <laughs> no, no,
1: my gosh. No, no, I don't have anything like that i was like well i just don't i'm not interested yeah (laughs) and keep it well a couple things is you know these are i mean this is the this is the part where i tell you they're fabricated but it's also the part where i tell you it's true that they're fabricated but it it is you know there are sort of some surface similarities in two that i can think of which is a fun guessing game for everybody Mm -hmm. um but then the second you give them fake names and you give them attributes and different things that never happened, um, that are not for me. And it's funny because it's different from nonfiction where nonfiction, you might be covering up details to protect somebody for legal reasons, right? But you're (laughs) not doing it to serve you as a, as a character. So in other words, naturally, because I think that hopefully it's a good book. And despite having all these elements, I do hope it Uh, reads as a sort of cohesive whole of a Mm -hmm. vibe Um, and isn't like everything but the kitchen sink you know Uh, but despite all that naturally um, all those people are there to serve the point of the plot and the point of the book so their details are there for that so you don't have to write anything down it's not like I was like ooh what happened with this person let me me take them and like use you know, all the whale meat, <laughs> like the Inuit, you know, I'm going to use every part, I mean, not,
0: you know, did you know, use yourself it for oil.
1: I was like, did I find myself harpooning a whale? Yes. That's what writing is like <laughs> <laughs> um, reminiscing personally. No. Cause I really does. It doesn't, I am a naturally nostalgic person. Uh, I think most people are, I'm a writer. So I tend to, um, maybe it locks in, in, uh, what could be a good way or it could be an unhealthy way for me.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, As I was reading, I was like, oh, this person I dated, that made me think of that person. See, this is good. This is, But that's the thing is
1: the details, and they are incredibly uh, detailed. That's one thing I'm very, you know, I don't know. The book doesn't totally belong to you after you write it. People will make of it what they will. But I am very confident on how detailed these gentlemen are. And... I feel like there, it was so much fun to write that. It, there's a really funny thing that, um, do you know bees are not supposed to fly? Really? A fun fact. Yes, apparently uh, some physics thing where the, their wingspan and their body weight are off and they shouldn't actually be able to take off. I think maybe it's bumblebees. I don't know. I read it somewhere. Must be okay. true. Probably on the internet. <laughs> the the analogy we'll use the analogy if not the hard fact um and that is that somehow the more detailed you get about a topic in your writing it pops out it's like it digs a hole through the center of the earth pops out the other side and becomes incredibly universal and i don't know why that is but i have abused that truth to the best of my
0: ability in this book Mm. yeah i started to think through all of my former... Yeah.
1: Did it give you PTSD? Folks. Are you okay? I got a little
0: bit of PTSD. People, are,
1: people at F- in the FSG marketing department, I just got an email just before I got on with you. They're upset. They're upset. <laughs> they think this is their worst nightmare.
0: So I have to tell you, my the biggest thing that affected me, I have to say, at some point, in the book, it talks about rules of dating, and, like, in a someone's profile, it might say, like, know this, know that. In the gay community, it's not uncommon, or, like, it's, people often say, like, no fats, no fems. Um, oh, no yeah. fats? No fats, Stop, no Not fems. even fatty? It's no I fats? Know, I know, yeah. Jesus. So that th- is so, horrible. So you see these rules, I, I say in quotation marks, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. on these profiles, and it got me thinking about what were, what were some of my, not rules that I would put on the page, but rules that I would like have in my own mind. And there was someone that I dated who would often use the word supposedly. And I was like, supposedly? With a B? Like, With a B. And for, for the whole time, ever since I dated them, until yesterday as I was preparing for this interview, didn't think supposedly was even a word. And then I was like, I discovered that in fact it is a word, but everybody uses it incorrectly.
1: Wait, 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 wait! Stop the interview. Okay. Uh, so, <laughs> as someone who recorded her own audiobook for this, which is rare, I obviously did the nonfiction ones. Um, or I think obviously, uh, but this is the, I, the my first novel. The class, someone else recorded it because there was mm. a fair amount of French in it, and I'm like, no, thank you. Oh, um, I can Boo. write, won't speak. I, <laughs> I can write and understand. I, I can't speak back. Um, but I just went through, you know, hours and hours of finding out all the words that I think I can say that I can't. One of them is, I guess now I can say it because I haven't been speaking for so long that I can't speak any longer um, is probably. And I'd say, Mm. they're like you said, probably, probably like, I I, I guess (laughs) after a while, I can't say it. So I thought you're supposedly was like, oh, he's probably just been recording an audio (laughs) book.
0: Marbles in my mouth. Right.
1: So does it mean the same thing?
0: It doesn't. And that's the problem.
1: Oh, was he misapplying so, it?
0: Correct. But I just okay. thought it was the wrong I thought it was I thought it was
1: Oh well that still counts as a point in your favor if he's using the wrong word. Oh, just because well, it's a word doesn't totally. it doesn't scrabble. It's a conversation. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I know that's very true, but in my, but forever for some reason I was like, oh, supposedly isn't a word, and that just right. makes the person sound so. But yeah, your um- I think
1: your point is bringing up, if I may, is like, just that you know that is something that so sticks in your craw exactly. about this guy right. that you're like, oh, the guy who did that thing. Right. I mean, and that's that is really hard. It's very hard, and this is actually part of Lola's struggle as you go through life. To learn to suss out what is indicative of something, and symbolic, and what is just the thing. So, what mm-hmm. is? Hey, you're being mean, or you're being an idiot, and you are an idiot, and you are mean. I'm like, what has uh, tethers attached to it, and what doesn't? And I don't know your relationship with this person, so it sounds like supposedly belied some other stuff.
0: Right, idiot.
1: Idiot would be the stuff. <laughs>
0: so- <laughs> Lots of the books I've been reading have very, very thin pulses of Judaism and Jewish themes, like mm. running underneath them, um, and this one included. Not only does the does the cult um, kind of live at a at an abandoned former school, I like um, to say derelict. Derelict, yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. fair. That makes sense. Yeah, um, but also the idea of like questioning and debate are like very yes. Jewish themes. It's my
1: favorite part of us.
0: <laughs>
1: There's so much that is not my favorite and it is my favorite, as, especially when you get to know people who grew up in other religious backgrounds. Yeah. Um, I mean, we have just as many rules, if not more, uh, but it's a real bummer that they're just not even allowed to talk about them really. And it feels, it feels really like a sharp difference. Anyway, so, go Jews. Go ahead.
0: I know. It's very interesting, but, um, but yeah, that concept of like, it's not a Jewish book, but I there I like felt an element of Judaism, right? Which was a, just a very interesting. Well, there's a
1: physical element in the fact that, but there's stuff that's like there are details. Once it becomes sort of crazy and like the emotions and the the characters, hopefully, are stay grounded and they're mm-hmm. of this earth the entire time. But once I started playing with the interior of the synagogue that has like you know it was an old room for Taurus study that's been turned into like a crystallarium that just has a single amethyst geode in it. Like, it's a crazy, you know, like spa, like insanity. <laughs> but then I realized, maybe you can answer this for me. Um, I only, when I was thinking about it the other day or somebody asked me a question and I thought, oh man, did this slip through fact checking? So she goes in and uh, she goes into what used to be, it's an interrogation room now, but she goes into what used to be an old rabbi's office, like mm-hmm. that clearly she can tell from the layout. Um, and there are two uh, holes in the door frame set at an angle where, you know, she's like, oh, mezuzah was here. Right. Do they have Mazzizzas in synagogues? They wouldn't, would they? No one sleeps oh. there. Or maybe they have them anyway. And I, it was just this moment where I felt, uh oh, I'm feeling. The limits of my own education in a way that like I, I I'm pretty sure that you could argue that you know there if there are sleepovers or if someone had to sleep there if it was a place of shelter or maybe it's just uh-huh. a prayer for whoever walks through. Uh-huh. I'm sure there are reasons why there would be or why there wouldn't be. When you write something that um has a bit of that kind of speculative or magical or just plain wacky element. Um, even aesthetically, you know, it would just, if, if you're Wes Anderson, just something a little funky, mm-hmm. if there are opportunities to get things absolutely correct, why not do it? And so I, I, you know, you want to ground it when you can. So for some reason, it bothers me. So maybe listeners can write in and tell me whether or not
0: I'm sure there would they ever will. have been <laughs> inside answer.
1: a temple. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. So, I mean, I do understand what they're for sleeping. Right. I mean, right. that sounds weird.
0: I heard AJ Jacobs say hmm. that he is as Jewish as Olive Garden is Italian. And I have Ouch. told him that I relate to him very deeply. I,
1: <laughs> I Ouch. But you know what's <laughs> funny is the very religious people I know, you know, there's history of quote unquote reform Judaism or reform Jews. Uh, a lot gets pinned on us. Uh, historically, there's a history of, you know, have we, have we brought a lot of suffering on ourselves in the 20th century? Hmm. Um, but I feel like, you know, th- th- at least the, the sort of Orthodox or a couple of Hasidic Jews that I know are very, uh, they're not welcoming, they're not inviting me to, you know, the high holiday, holiday, what? Because I can't speak. They don't invite <laughs> me.
0: Right? Supposedly, they're, they're inviting like, They're like, you. You doesn't
1: speak English, we can't do it. <laughs> um, but I just think they're not, uh, it's not that there's not a... Um, superiority there. But the idea of me calling myself a bad Jew or, or or just a is is not something it's not really the language they traffic in. I traffic in it. Um, and again, I'm not saying they think that I am as educated uh or as pious as they are in these matters. They certainly do not. Um, but I don't feel unwelcome as a Jew. I don't feel sort of othered as if I was, you know, Southern Baptist. Um, I mean, and so it's I mean, interesting. So I feel like um bad Jews, quote unquote, beat themselves up more than other people are beating them up, which is very Jewish. Yeah, <laughs> totally, a, right, which of, makes them the more sense sense Jewish. Of guilt. Yeah, exactly.
0: So exactly. it's funny because we live in a world where the the binary is just so intense, right? You're either very you're either Jewish or not Jewish. You're either gay or but it's also not how you're, you're educated.
1: Gay. Like I just I don't or. know. I know. I can read three lines of Hebrew. I can say four prayers and I'm out. Like I, I yeah. never went to Hebrew school. You know, I never had a bat mitzvah. Yeah. I'm really bad. Yeah. <laughs> um, and no, again, I, I hate to keep using bad. So I'm really um, lacking. I'm really lacking in that department.
0: Sure. Well, you know, and thankfully, I think it's kind of like what we may get.
1: Yes, I guess I get different. too far over into that. Like I get too far. Part of the reason there are all these... Um, elements in the book it's because they're what I have to offer and I really enjoyed writing them you know the Jewish yeah. elements of the book but there's a limit to them not only because they are not super integral to the plot um, but because I don't want to speak about something I know nothing about I do in general that's what fiction is in some ways mm-hmm. um, but for this specific thing I i sort of um, I bow down to it a little bit. And so I'm not just going to go around flinging around Hebrew prayers that I don't know even when they're, you know, applied.
0: No, but again, I thought it was really lovely how there was this pulse in it, which I thought was very cool.
1: There is the pulse of Judaism yeah. throughout. And sometimes it's just in the jokes. Like, you know, it's, it's just like <laughs> in, the, in the, the, there's a lot of um, jokes about being Jewish in,
0: yeah. in the book. Yeah. Um, our time is limited. So I want to ask a couple quick okay. questions. but sure. Holistically, this will be no. my last book question. Okay, why do you think we need closure?
1: Oh, is that a book question I or is that a therapy question? It's so funny. Right, so well, many.
0: Maybe that's a question for everybody, right? If you're listening, think about why we need closure and read the book, and then like think about it for yourself. It's a good well, like self-reflective question. Out. It, it is. Yeah,
1: it's a good book club question. I mean, I feel like I am finding out very quickly like we've established the book went on sale yesterday, but very quickly that when you write a book that is so much about relationships and it is an incredible compliment because I've hit something where people are asking me questions like I'm Esther Perel. I don't friggin' know, <laughs> but, uh, the book does have a lot to say. And as do I about, you know, the characters as do I, um, about closure and how we define it and the pressure to get it. Yes. And I feel like there is this pressure to find that once you're with the right person, all your memories and all the import that you would grant all these other people sort of dissipates. Um, and they all seem like this endless line of ghosts, which is uh, an Edith Wharton line, um, but, or just a lot of bullet points. They seem like all these bullet points to uh, the grand finale of of your current relationship um and I object to that very strongly yeah I think that it is a disservice to your own past and to your own memories and to all that time
0: um are because, you familiar with yeah. Stevens Onheim's company yeah
1: I didn't see the new one though
0: the, okay I haven't seen this, the new production it reminded me a little bit of company like oh you my have- gosh you have what? like Thank ghosts you. of the past. Yeah. You have expectations. You have relationships. Right. You have reconciling. You have coming to terms with what you actually want. And I was like, oh my god, this is a modern literary company? company. Oh my
1: gosh, from your mouth to Broadway's ears, this is my dream.
0: I mean, <laughs> um, well, and it, it's also just so interesting. I I couldn't believe how self-reflective I was. So heads up, there's a whole compilation video of you from all of your time on craig ferguson on youtube it's literally chronological of all (laughs) one video like
1: six five or six appearances i love him he was such a such a was he's still parading around the earth (laughs) his show was so great
0: yeah well so for some reason one of the like suggested clips that came up after those Uh was the 500th no totally unrelated to you but the 500th episode of the Rosie O'Donnell show which (laughs) I I know how we got there who knows um but I loved the Rosie O'Donnell show when I was a kid and and the rabbit hole I fell down with my own journey of like reconciling my past and what it made me feel I was like this is so nuts that it's so tangentially related to the book and what I felt reading the book and this is a different part of my past that I'm like Feeling. I'm, I felt so joyful watching it and so much sorrow. And it was mm. an interesting, like, bend. Um, anyway, okay, a couple quick rapid-fire questions because we are Jews and we like to question things. Oh, that's why. What is a book that changed your life? Heartburn by Heartburn. Nora Ephron. Oh, Heartburn. Yes. Oh, amazing. Yes. If you could only eat one thing the rest of your life, what would it be? Sushi. Huh. I'm going to say me too, but maybe not. Sushi, because then you get the vegetables,
1: yeah. you get the fish, you get kind of yes.
0: everything. Yeah. Obsessed. A teacher that had a big impact on you.
1: My professor at Connecticut College, Blanche Boyd. She just retired this year. Um, tell
0: Blanche Boyd.
1: Wonderful uh, Southern lesbian goddess.
0: Oh my God. Amazing. All right. What's something on your bucket list? Anything that you've done or not done or want to do or that you would add to your bucket list?
1: To see the Northern Lights. I want to see the Northern Lights. I'm really scared to go try and then not see them. It's not a sure thing, but I really You're not want the to first the
0: person Lights. who said this to me. Really? Yeah. We could do like a group field trip of like fantastic authors going to see the Northern Lights. Oh, really?
1: Oh, wow. I wonder who yeah. else said it.
0: Yeah. At some point in your book, you say that one of the authors is like over talking about his book. And I hope that you are not over talking about your book yet. I'm, I loved it so much. All of our readers should, li- should, should listen. They can listen to it. They can read it. They however. can listen to me read
1: it. Exactly. If you really want to listen to my to my dulcet, raspy sounds for but
0: by a many copy hours, hours so please You do. can also stare at the book cover because it's gorgeous. Um, Sloan, you are awesome. Thank you for your time and your wonderful thoughts, answers, your thoughtfulness. We're going to we'll edit that. Oh, oh edit
1: that. <laughs> I beg of you. Thank you. No, this was honestly um, such a great combination of really insightful questions and just abject flattery. So thank you so much.
0: <laughs> That's what I'm here for. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime. Um, Sloan, mazel tab. Have a great thank rest you. of your book thank tour. You. Um, and we hope to see you for your next one.
1: Oh, thanks so much. Have a good one.
0: Thank you. You too. Bye. Bye. thanks for listening. Cult Classic by Sloan Crosley is on sale now. If you haven't already, you could pick up your copy wherever books are sold. And as you could tell from the conversation, I thoroughly enjoyed it. To those of you who were wondering, we consulted a rabbi regarding mezuzahs and synagogues. And while they're not required by Jewish law in the way that they're put up at residences, because synagogues have historically housed homeless people and others in need, there is a tendency to put them up. Supposedly, is an uncommonly used word that means about the same thing as presumably or conceivably. As in, I could supposedly read an entire book to prepare for a podcast episode in a single day, but that would be pushing it. This podcast is produced by Udi Ehrman and me, Jason Blitman. Our editor is Matt Temkin, with music written and performed by Peril Wolf. 76 West Summer Podcast Series will release new episodes every other week. If you like what you heard, share it with a friend. And make sure to subscribe so you'll be the first to know when a new episode drops. Until next time.